six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for these words of Scripture and pray that we might see in this account a message for our living today. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. I want you to look at this slide um, of modern art. It, it could make a great painting on someone's wall. Maybe even it could be wallpaper uh, maybe in a, in a restaurant or a hotel somewhere. But if we zoom out, we find out that it's really the scales of a fish, a fish that Tim Williams in the back caught. <laughs> you see, context makes all the difference, doesn't it? How about this, this next uh, slide of these men that are leaning on, on a wall? Or are they really 
leaning on, oh, wait a second, no. No, this is not, this is a picture of the leaning tower of Pisa, yeah. Now, is the other, is the second picture leaning more than the first? Wait, go back, go back. Is, is that leaning more than the other? It looks like it, doesn't it? It's the exact same photograph, same one. Uh, context, you see, makes a difference. Now, now let's look at the men leaning on, on the wall. Or are they really leaning on the wall? Maybe they're lying on the ground. Let's see. Yeah. Hmm. Context makes all the difference, doesn't it? Now, about this statue in Konos. Uh, a number of us have seen this in Konos, Lithuania. The statue was built in 1939, and in 2008, a uh, painter, uh, actually a photographer by the name of Morphi, painted stars on the wall in the background, you see there. And um, people thought that it was graffiti that he had painted, and so they actually painted over those stars. They had to kind of, uh, again, be repainted. Uh, but was it really graffiti? If you see the statue at night, looks different, doesn't it, with the shadow? And that's why the statue is now known as the star sower. You see, context makes all the difference, doesn't it? So it is with the story of the transfiguration that, that uh, Carolyn read for us this morning. The story is, of course, very familiar to most of us. It's, you know, Peter, James, and John. You see them lying at the bottom of this painting. They're, they're lying at the bottom um, uh, below Jesus. They've gone up on top of this mountain, which uh, uh, many believe is Mount Tabor. And they go up there, and Jesus is transfigured in this. He's blazoned in white light along with the figures of Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And what this whole message is meant to say that Jesus is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Well, Peter is so overcome by this. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was actually terrified and he doesn't know what to say. He does, and that's kind of unusual for Peter. But he doesn't know what to say. And so he just kind of blurts out to Jesus, why don't we build three dwellings? And I think it's interesting that it's translated dwellings because it's more than just let's build three altars or three places of worship. But dwellings as if to say, let's stay up here. Let's, let's live up here. Let's build these three dwellings for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Now, for a lot of people, this is the story. That's the story of the transfiguration. In fact, when you read the lectionary, that's the whole story. But is it really? You see, the meaning is in the context. Until you see the whole context, you don't get the whole picture. So let's, let's look back in time just a little bit in chapter 8, the, the chapter immediately before this chapter that tells the story of the transfiguration. What you find out in, in chapter 8 is that Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of 4,000 people and it, it gets late in the day and it's time to feed them and so he calls on his uh, disciples to feed them. Now, does that sound familiar? It sounds like the feeding of the 5,000. The reality is this is a different story. It's a second story. Mark tells both stories. He tells about the feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and the two fish. But here, the disciples have seven fish and 
some, I mean, seven loaves and some fish. In other words, we don't have a number for the fish. But the point is that Jesus calls on his disciples to feed a hungry people, 4,000 of them. And he's able to take what little they have and multiply it so that all are fed. Now, right after that, also in chapter 8, the Pharisees learn about this feeding, and they're, they're incensed. They're angry. They're angry that all these people would come to Jesus. They're, they're angry, you, you know, that, that he's done this wonderful miracle of all things. And you, you would think they would be celebrating, but they're not. They're angry with Jesus, so much so that the Scriptures tell us, Mark tells us, that the disciples have to flee with Jesus. They, they run away with Jesus because he's in danger because of the anger of these Pharisees. And then right after that, as they are running away from the Pharisees, they come to a man who is blind. And as uh, Dave told us in the slide for the Jericho village, that the husband of the woman who's almost 100 years old living in that shack uh, is blind. You can almost imagine what it was like for Jesus and the disciples to pass this blind man. Maybe Maybe some tears came from them as well. And Jesus stopped and he healed the blind man. And then after, after that healing, Jesus then sits down with his disciples and he wants to know. He wants, he wants them to tell him what people are saying about him. He, he wants to say, who are people saying that I am? And they give a lot of different, uh, uh, different ideas. Maybe some people say you're the prophet Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And, and, and then Jesus says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus then tells Peter that he's right. But then he tells him, don't don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone the truth that you know. As if to say, you know, my time's not ready yet. And, you know, he's already just been in danger. And so maybe he's afraid that if this word gets out too quickly, before he's had time to really interpret what that means, maybe his life would be cut short. And so he tells his disciples to not tell anyone. And then he starts telling them what's going to happen to him. He says he's going to be rejected and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified and on the third day rise again. He's telling them about his suffering that has come. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, if anyone wants to follow me, they're going to have to pick up their cross and follow me. Do you get a kind of a picture of what's happening here all leading up to the transfiguration? In this whole chapter 8, Mark is telling us about Jesus, how, how he heals, how he feeds, how he, how he upsets the Pharisees how he instructs the disciples that he's going to have to die, and how he's telling his disciples if they want to follow him, they're going to have to pick up their cross as well. It's a a tough lesson that he's teaching his disciples, but a very important one. And that's the context, you see, in which we must read the story of the transfiguration. And that's why I always, in spite of what the lectionary does, I always, when this scripture is read about the transfiguration, I cannot let it stop there. You have to read the second part of the story, which is the story of Jesus going down the hillside into the valley and finding this boy who is possessed by a demon, or some people say he had epilepsy. The point is, here was a boy who needed to be healed. 
And so immediately Jesus takes his disciples, his friends, Peter, James, and John. He meets the other disciples who are down in the, in the valley. And there he finds a boy who needs healing. This healing comes right on the heels of the transfiguration. When Peter says, let's build three dwellings, let's build three houses up here, let's build three booths to stay up on this mountaintop, Jesus doesn't say a word. He just shows them what they are to do. And he walks down quietly into the valley where the boy is in need. You know, Raphael got it right. Raphael got it right. And, and, and it's, it's such a marvelous thing that this reproduction is in our sanctuary. Raphael's painting isn't just the transfiguration, but it is the healing of the boy in the valley. You see him in the blue to the right of the portrait, the picture there. You can't tell the story of the transfiguration without telling the story of the healing of the boy. You see, context makes all the difference. And you know, Peter should have known that from the top of the mountain. He should have realized that because while they were up there, when Jesus was transfigured, a cloud kind of came over them and and Elijah and Moses kind of disappeared. And out of that cloud came a voice and the voice said, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. We talked about this a few weeks ago at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, these exact words were spoken And as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, God says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him, and and then sends him out into the wilderness where where he's tempted for 40 days. They're not easy words to hear. They're also the words that were spoken by God to Abraham. When God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, your beloved son, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain. Those words would have been familiar to the disciples. When they heard those words out of the cloud, they would have, they, it would have resonated. They would have, they would have heard in their mind the words of God to Abraham. And if they had been at the baptism, they would have remembered the words of Jesus, of God to Jesus at that point. You see, context makes all the difference, doesn't it? What God was saying to Peter and James and John, what God is saying to us is that if we want to follow Jesus, we've got to go down from the mountaintop into the valley where people are in need. Now, sometimes we have to go on top of a mountain in order to, you know, prepare ourselves for the valley. We need to go up on top of the mountain so we can see the valley, so we can be up on the mountain and, and see the village down below and see the boys and see the girls and see, the, see our brothers and sisters that are, that are in need. Sometimes we need a mountaintop experience. We need to change our perspective so we can see the context in which God sees the world. And for some of us, that, that mountaintop might be like a retreat. It might be go, <clears throat> going into the mountains and spending a week or two in a cabin somewhere, somewhere or maybe at a retreat center. It might mean going to a monastery and not saying a word for a long time. Maybe that's the kind of mountaintop experience that you might need. Maybe, maybe it's like a walk in the woods or uh, along the beach uh, or maybe just, um, you know, 
among the mountaintops. Maybe a mountaintop experience for you might be reading a, a good book, or, or, or maybe it's reading the scriptures, or maybe listening to certain music. Your mountaintop experience might be a conversation that you have with a friend. Maybe it's prayer that you have with that friend, or maybe prayer that you have by yourself. Sometimes a mountain of transfiguration, if you will, that mountain experience is being involved in a church like this that might very well challenge your perspective. Remember, <clears throat> Peter's first reaction was to be terrified and not to know what to say. That was, that was his reaction to the transfiguration. <clears throat> so the mountaintop experience for him began with terror. It began with anxiety on his part. And it was only until he heard the voice and he saw what was happening with Jesus and he followed him down into the valley that it all makes sense to him. Well, your, your mountain of transfiguration, your, your mountaintop experience might be like that. It might mean sitting in a Sunday school class with people who have a very different perspective on the scriptures than you do. Maybe it's kind of wrestling with someone about their theology or about their politics. Maybe, maybe it's just being around people who are different. And it might be terrifying to you. But that might be the very mountain that God wants you to be on so you can see life in a, in a new way. So you can see the context. And so that you can make your way down into the valley. Sometimes it's a silent walk with Christ down that lonely path toward a village where someone is in need. I think Dave alluded to it that they, he and Ian sort of went from a mountaintop to a valley experience when they went from the, the worship experience in the Jericho church where they were celebrating the, the new roof that was on the church and, and now just a few moments later they're they're standing beside a couple that live in a, a mud hut. That was their valley. They had gone from the mountain to the valley. I don't know what your mountaintop experience is or will be. But I believe mountain vistas can and do help us see into the valley more clearly. And you see, it's the valley. It's the valley where God wants us to go. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for wanting to build a, build a dwelling in a safe place, a place that's high above all the misery of this world. We're, we're, we're just human. We're just like Peter. We, we can be enthralled by a lot of things, and we can get excited, and, and we can find ourselves just wanting to be separated from the pain of this world. But you <clears throat> give us those experiences so that we can turn around and look out across the valley and see that there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So help us, Lord. Walk with us and take us down into the valley and help, help us to be your arms and legs in a world that needs your love. Amen.